On this episode, the five leadership roles and nonprofit leadership with Meg Pogue. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Randy Lane. We finally did it. We've hit 100 episodes. That means there's 100 episodes of insights from leadership experts just waiting for you to download. Check out our back catalog at hpleadershippodcast.com. Today, we're talking with Meg Pogue. She's the founder and CEO of Mission Squared, an organizational development consulting firm based in Austin, Texas. She's also a 360 Solutions strategic partner. Meg was in town presenting at a Charity Champions leadership development session that 360 Solutions hosted earlier this year. While she was in town, I got her in the studio to talk about her experience leading nonprofits. We also talk about her presentation on the five leadership roles. And now, here's Meg. My name is Meg Pogue, and I have spent pretty much all of my career in human services and the social sector, both with nonprofits and local government. And I spent almost 11 years as an executive of a nonprofit, grew it up from a baby organization to a bigger one, and a couple years ago decided to launch out um, and try something new. And I really just wanted a new challenge, and I I felt a lot of empathy for other nonprofit leaders and really wanted to shift my career focus to supporting other nonprofits and also their leaders, their leadership teams. How did you get into nonprofit work type of things? Well, it's funny. I never really thought I would be a social worker. Um, I My undergraduate degree was in communication. Okay. I've always been very sensitive to people and kind of social dynamics. I've always had a passion for social justice. Um, I was a very defiant child, <laughs> uh, did not like authority, was always sticking up for the underdog. Um, so I think it's kind of ingrained in my personality okay. um, and the faith that I grew up in had a big influence, I think, in my values and ended up getting my master's in social work as a way to not make a decision about what I wanted to be when I grew up because <laughs> it could sort of allow me anything, right? right. And then I just have, I feel like I've been in a constant state of exploration of what I want to be when I grow up and I still don't know. <laughs> and so was the nonprofit that you came from previous to this, was that your first nonprofit you worked for? I had worked for a few nonprofits and also after I got my master's degree, worked as a planner and then a senior planner in the county health and human services department. Okay. Really good experience understanding strategic planning, facilitating group problem solving, studying local demographic conditions and effective change efforts to help those conditions, and then went back into the nonprofit sector as an executive director. And that's really interesting to me. And you kind of told the story this morning. For those who don't know, you came up from Austin at Chip's request to help us facilitate a charity champion session because of all your experience in nonprofits. So you got to this nonprofit and tell me what the situation was like when you first got there. Saying it has a lot of potential, <laughs> right? That's what everyone says when there's a lot of unrealized potential. Mm -hmm. No, it's very, very cool mission. Really serious issue in Austin. And because of my background in community planning, I knew that adult literacy was a huge issue. Felt really passionate about it as being kind of a root cause of other issues. 
So I replaced the founding executive director and the organization was only three or four years old. I was the first full-time staff person. We had a half-time administrative assistant who was very pregnant and wanted to stay home with her baby. So Mm -hmm. very little staff. We were in a cube in a hallway at the community college, (laughs) donated space, which was very generous of them. And the board hired me with an explicit directive to take it to the next level, whatever that meant. What does that mean? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? I think it took me six months just to figure out what that might look like. So what was the nonprofit called again? It's called the Literacy Coalition of Central Texas. So why initially was this something that you wanted to take on? Did this hit you in some certain way that you've seen before or experienced before, or you just felt like it was a good calling for you? I would say two things drew me to this specific nonprofit. One, again, was that Looking at the demographics of the community, I could see that we had a huge and increasing gap in disparities in education, workforce preparedness, and adults who were reading below a basic level to even survive and function in society, right? So, and it was about one-fifth of the adult population working age in Austin. So it's a big problem. I had no idea that's that big of an issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that was part of the problem right? Mm -hmm. Is people weren't paying attention. They just didn't realize it's Mm -hmm. an invisible issue. So that was really compelling to me is to be part of solving a really tough problem. The other compelling part was that it was a coalition. It was really a movement created by multiple organizations across different sectors, who many of whom had literacy programs in their nonprofits or even local government. And we were all trying to figure out how a rising tide could float all boats, Mm -hmm. right? How can we elevate the sector and improve really the capacity in the community to offer more instruction. There was way more need than we were able to reach. And some of the instruction had been very volunteer driven and not necessarily very evidence-based or professional in the way it was being delivered. And we wanted to kind of elevate the quality of instruction. So I loved coalitions. I loved anything where a bunch of people get together with different perspectives to do something bigger than we could do alone. You were given this mandate to expand it. How did you take it from a cubicle and just a couple people to how big did it actually become? A lot of blood, sweat, and tears <laughs> is my short answer. I think I was able to work with a lot of brilliant people, board members and staff that we were able to get. We had very talented people and just continually reshaping a vision for what we could be. My head was always two to three years out from wherever we were. Mm -hmm. I saw a lot of possibility. I'm stubborn. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm excitable, right? Like Mm -hmm. a big idea hits me and I just like have a strong urge to do it. And I think I was able to translate some of that, both courage and vision and inspiration to people around me. Right. But me alone, I just would have been wandering and visionary, right? (laughs) I had to get really smart and talented people around me and get more and more attention on the issue, develop deeper partnerships in the community, get a lot of stakeholders involved. So it's really, in a lot of ways, it's a sales job. Right. And how big were you when you left there? Our budget was about three and a half million annually. Wow. And it came from what? I believe when I started the annual budget was 80,000. You definitely took something that was much smaller than you had received it as and you really grew it to something big. And you talked a lot about being the visionary there and having the people support you to reach the goals that you'd set out there. And today's subject title was the five leadership roles that you taught today in the Charity Champions class. So you saw firsthand how you may have the gift as a visionary, but you need all those other types to kind of support you, right? Yeah. When we look at the five leadership roles, 
they're all necessary Mm -hmm. in an organization. And ideally, you hone all five of those roles. I think I was keenly aware of what I wasn't good at Mm -hmm. and good at finding it in other people, be they staff, like hiring to my deficits or board members who I could sit down with and kind of huddle, share ideas and just have people supporting me where their strengths were different than mine. I definitely didn't have a weakness in the trailblazing (laughs) visionary role. And even you know, there needs to be balance, right? right? So sometimes people who can get very excited and visionary, it's a little bit scary for mm-hmm. people who are on the ground doing the work, managing the day to day. And I come back and tell them, we're going to double in size in a year and a half. Like that's <laughs> not what they necessarily want to hear. Right. <laughs> we also talked about the different leadership roles of like the architect. So the person who's in charge of taking that vision and kind of seeing how it's actually going to fit together. A good analogy I use is if somebody was building houses and that's what they're used to. And then the visionary comes along and says, we're going to build the Empire State Building. It's a much bigger project. They have the vision and that's great, but you also have to have the people there to execute that vision. And it can be scary for those people who have to think, how is this actually going to work? How are we going to make this big plan a reality? Exactly. And as soon as it came to the how, I got bored. (laughs) (laughs) That's why it takes all, because there's some people, I really enjoy the architect part of it. So working with Chip here at 360, he has lots of great ideas. And a lot of times it falls to me to go, okay, how do we actually make this something that actually works? And to me, it's like a puzzle figuring out how it works. So you need those people together to kind of make it work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And especially in a nonprofit, you are going to need to surround yourself with people, board members, volunteers, advisors, mentors, and your leadership team, because you can't afford, right, to have all these very, very high-skilled, talented people all the time on board. If you're scrappy, like a lot of nonprofit executives, you find your gaps and deficits elsewhere. You get them excited about what you're doing, and you just shut up and listen. Mm -hmm. And so you were doing that for many years, and then you come across... 360 solutions and what kind of stuck out about 360 in your mind and made this something you wanted to jump and do full time for your thing? A couple things. I would say the main aspect of 360 is that it's so grounded and proven in academic research of what will actually make one organization thrive, be sustainable and grow versus another one with similar resources and market position that could fail. Mm -hmm. I got a lot of advice. Like I said, I would seek out advice. Not all of it was great. Some of it I just didn't quite understand. Some of it was not grounded in evidence or any evidence base. And I knew that if I was truly passionate about helping other nonprofits and doing that with integrity, I had to know that what I was teaching them and what I was helping guide them through was proven to work. Mm -hmm. Was there a certain part of the curriculum that really struck you as super impactful when you started working with your own clients? Yeah. The two concepts that I've seen resonate the most with people, one is shifting from a control and command style of leadership Mm -hmm. that has been demonstrated to all of us, right? And I think we revert back into that without even knowing it. So being able to break that down for people and say, you know, instead of the command to control, let's focus on empowerment, coaching, and development. Shifting you from creating followers to creating other leaders, it's a totally different paradigm. Mm-hmm. I've seen that really resonate with people and watch them struggle with it and change their behaviors in really substantial ways that have a ripple effect, right? Their teams become actually empowered and engaged. Their results elevate, but it takes a lot of self-exploration and awareness to be able to do that. Why do you think that people revert so easily to the 
command and control structure? Is it the culture that we grow up in, that that's just kind of how things have been and this is kind of a new way of doing things? I think that's part of it, definitely, that we tend to revert back to behaviors that we've seen Mm -hmm. or have been done to us, right? But the other part, which is a little more insidious and hard to tackle, is that as we gain experience, we tend to think of ourselves as more and more right and mm. more and more of an expert. And we like solving problems and it's ego. And it, it comes from a place of, I know what I'm doing. I want to move quickly. Let's be efficient. Let's save time. It's not coming from a bad place, but it's definitely a little bit ego driven. Mm-hmm. And for me, I know another element of that was I felt so much empathy for people who were struggling mm. in my organization or on my team that I would swoop in to rescue them and not realize that I was really disempowering them in doing that. So some of it is a knowledge gap, some of it's ego, and some of it is just the culture we've been steeped in. Chip used a analogy today about a butterfly and this guy is seeing a butterfly that's kind of struggling to get out of its cocoon and he keeps seeing it and it really bothers him that this butterfly is spending so much time struggling. So he goes and he helps get it out of its cocoon and, and find out that it's not fully formed and, and learns later that it's actually the struggling that actually fully forms the butterfly and that he's actually hurt it by trying to help it. And so many leaders, I, I think they're doing what you're talking about and they're, they're trying to be helpful, but it's not really empowering the people. And, you know, looking back, hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> but I really regret I can now replay these conversations I had with people on my team mm-hmm. that were incredibly disempowering. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think they were able to identify that and come back to me with, this is what I want, Meg. I, I don't want you to solve this for me. Right. But sometimes even for both parties, it's just we're just trying to move quickly and do things. And the conversation maybe felt a little yucky. And it developed a pattern of yucky conversations and them feeling disempowered. And I just really wish I could have had more of the the principles that we teach in 360 Solutions much earlier on because I cared deeply for the people I worked with and sometimes would just find myself stepping all over their faces, Mm. not really aware that I was doing it or becoming aware when it was too late. And also, I think at a deeper level, it's a lack of trust. Maybe you do things a certain way. You think they're not able to do the quality that you can do. And so you don't trust them enough to give them that job thinking maybe they're going to screw it up. When if you don't ever empower them, you know, you can never take a vacation. (laughs) You're always going to be busy and you're probably going to burn out and always be upset with your coworkers because you don't think they're up to the task. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you and I were talking earlier. I think there's challenges and dynamics that are unique to nonprofits. And one that I see a lot is just this martyr syndrome of nonprofit leaders Mm. who I just have to buckle down and do whatever it takes to get through this and I'll take on everything and I don't want to be a commanding top-down style leader. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll swoop it up. I'll stay late. I'll work this 12-hour day. Don't worry. I'll clean up after the event. Um, and that builds up over time to burn us out. And nonprofit leadership is extraordinarily complex, demanding. Resources are scarce. It's an environment in which it would already be easy to to burn out, but I think there's also this sort of you're doing charitable work mentality. You need to be a martyr. You shouldn't take care of yourself. You shouldn't take care of your people. You shouldn't try to have different working conditions. You should just stick with the grind and get the mission done. Yeah, you're like, well, at least I have food on the table. Our clients don't even have food, so I should keep suffering until they can get it, right? Yeah. (laughs) We've talked about this before in 360. We talk about this a lot is that a lot of nonprofit organizations see themselves differently than a business that needs to make money. 
when really they're all organizations, they all need to function properly. And if you think about it more like a for-profit business, you think about sustainability and getting in new donors and finding that new capital to do more and expansive things instead of just being stagnant and doing the one thing you've always done. Mm-hmm. The principles of what makes an organization great are the same across any sector or industry, right? But there are some unique challenges with nonprofits, but the rules are the same. Mm-hmm. I had many board members who were very, very successful business people, and they would really get a deep understanding of the challenges facing us and that we couldn't always control our money flow. We couldn't plan long term and our markets were really tight and there was tons of competition and our clients often didn't want to be clients. Mm. We're not selling something people want and we don't get paid for what we're selling. We have to Mm. get the money. So you have two audiences. And so when they would come to realize that my board members, advisors, they would go, oh, okay, your job that's harder. I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> that that's a rough dynamic, mm-hmm. right? So you can deliver the most high quality, impactful services, but you don't get any more money for it. Yeah. With a for-profit company, you're creating a, a product or a service, you're selling it, that revenue can go back into the business. But with this, you're, you're, you're giving it away. So you have to find the people to help you sustain that business. Yeah. It's, that's a really tough thing. And I have nothing but respect after working with these nonprofits as part of Charity Champions for all the struggles they go through. And like you said, it's almost like having two different jobs and they're really both very difficult jobs. <laughs> so as far as your career goes and, and your practice as a 360 solution strategic partner, do you work primarily with nonprofits or do you also have for-profit companies? Obviously my heart is with the nonprofits. Mm-hmm. So most of my clients are nonprofit, but I definitely have some for-profit clients. It's interesting because I'll dive pretty deeply into the strategy of a high-tech manufacturing company and realize it's the same challenges. They're experiencing the same struggles. The things that work for them are the things that work for nonprofits. Mm. You just have to understand the landscape people are in. Um, so I actually love pivoting back and forth, but obviously I'm, I'm working really hard to make my services accessible and available to impact the nonprofit sector. Last year, I went to the high performance organization workshop that you hosted and co-facilitated with Chip. And I loved how there was for-profit and nonprofit in the room. And especially in a small group situation, they were talking to each other and finding out that they had a lot more in common than they thought. And then I also saw a lot of ideas going both ways for how to run their organization better. And those leaders may have never found each other had it not been that kind of situation. You know, there is some of that interplay with nonprofits already with our boards Mm -hmm. and them bringing perspective from the private sector or other sectors. And it's really fun for me to learn from them. It was really enriching in my career. At the same time, there are just some fundamental differences (laughs) (laughs) of the landscape we were playing in. It's always fun for both to kind of reach across the sectors, understand the dynamics going on for both. Um, But there are a lot of real mission-driven for-profit companies, B Corps now, Mm -hmm. corporations with a strong heart and a big focus on social change. And there's also some nonprofits who are going a little for-profit. You know, like there's a lot more blending I see between the two worlds. So it's almost a false dichotomy at this point. Mm -hmm. Good example. We have nonprofit here called Jesus Said Love, and they work with women that are trying to leave working in strip clubs. 
And so that's a very interesting dynamic. And then they have other spinoff things, including Lovely Enterprises, which is like selling goods and things that those women have made to kind of help them become entrepreneurs. So that kind of shows you the kind of becoming more of an entrepreneur and a more for-profit person from a nonprofit background. Mm -hmm. My nonprofit did that as well. We had some profit-generating activities that we did. I just... Every time I found something that was of value, I thought, who could we sell this to? How can how can I be more in charge of our financial destiny mm-hmm. and get some unrestricted revenue that we could direct toward whatever we needed to bolster the organization or grow the organization? So there's a lot of nonprofits doing that now. I'm definitely not unique. I went to yeah. conferences about it, talked to a lot of people about it. What did you guys sell? So one example um, actually was a result of a merger that we did. So there was a nonprofit a little bit smaller than us called English at Work. Mm-hmm. Program is still in existence. Brilliant program where we would bring English as a second language classes for workers. Um, we can actually bring those to the work site, send our instructors out, and have the employer pay for those classes. Oh, okay. That makes sense. So you're in Austin. Is there any difficulty with kind of the environment and culture that is Austin working with organizations there? Well, Austin is rich in that there are thousands of nonprofits. And at the same time, it's a challenging environment because there are thousands of nonprofits. Very competitive. Very competitive. I would also say another dynamic that's interesting in Austin is not many people in Austin are from Austin. It's kind of a transitory place with the university and a lot of companies coming in, Mm -hmm. drawing a workforce from other places. So it's a little bit different in that people don't have as much emotional tie to community, giving back to the community. Austin is actually, it ranks fairly low in the levels of people who give back, like Mm -hmm. per capita, who are donating to nonprofit causes. So it's just culturally a little bit different. And then there's also this expectation that we should all be very entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. Austin's very entrepreneurial, and we get these board members who are visionaries with these great ideas who don't understand some of the constraints that we live under. Mm -hmm. And so I've seen that actually play out with a lot of nonprofits in Austin. As a 360 partner, you have access to all sorts of material and stuff and all different ways you can work with an organization. What's your favorite way to work with an organization? So for some reason, I don't know if I'm a glutton for punishment, (laughs) I really like to work top to bottom with an organization from the front line on up over an extended amount of time. And the reason is I want everyone to be able to use some shared language and have some of these principles so that they're all understanding more optimal ways of being together, having alignment around the strategy, having some agreements and team charters. Uh, How do we all want to be together to be a more powerful team? And then also helping the leadership to steer the organization, assess the culture, and develop their roles, their five leadership roles, their competencies, which ripples out and impacts the whole organization. But my big caveat is I like to work with people over an extended amount of time. Sometimes they hear the concept once, they kind of, it doesn't sink all the way in or they don't have anything going on, a current challenge that they're, they can apply it directly to. Mm-hmm. And the way that we all learn and grow and develop is we have to experiment with new concepts and tools and apply it to our daily challenges and be held accountable to come back, talk about it, work through it, and try again. Mm -hmm. And that spaced repetition and struggle is where we grow. In my experience as a nonprofit leader, I was offered a lot of one-off trainings Mm -hmm. or one-off consulting gigs. Just come in, do a little strategic plan, pop away, right? So this is different in that it's holistic support that's sustainable. It makes a sustainable change because you're truly developing people and their ability to be more successful together. And that's 
that's the kind of touch I want. That's the impact I want to make. I do feel like the strategic partners that do that holistic approach have a better time seeing results than the people who do the one-off classes. Like if you're feeling sick and you go to the doctor, he's going to diagnose what the issue is and then prescribe the best course of treatment. But you could also go to WebMD and say, you know, I've got a rash over here and you may get a hundred different answers. So with the one-off trainings, if the leadership is saying, well, our people don't communicate well, do something on communication. Well, it may be up in the higher levels that the communication is off. So really getting in there, assessing, building their strategy, building their leaders and teams, mm-hmm. that, that's probably the best way to go. And I'm, I'm sure you'll see lots of success that way. It's fun talking to other nonprofit executives and asking them, what challenges do you see? Mm-hmm. What do you think is happening? And then I get into the organization. That is their perspective on what's happening. But <laughs> I like to start with assessment because there's usually a lot more. And I mentioned this today when I was speaking, but we often don't have a good perspective, frankly, on how things are really going in the organization. We spend a lot of time focused outside the organization. And sometimes people don't tell us the reality of what's happening. Mm-hmm. They think they're afraid to tell us or they think we don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. When I come in, I like to look at, I can be the social architect, mm-hmm. right? What are the patterns that I see and getting really honest and blunt feedback from the front lines, management, leadership, and being able to kind of put that together into an assessment of what what I think is really at play, and also very, very positive and powerful solutions to that to work together over time. So many organizations hire consultants to come in and figure out what the problems are, and a lot of it comes down to talking to everyone, listening to their opinion, and then seeing the full scope of what the problem is. And that's something that the leaders could instill all the way down if they wanted to. Open, honest, no fear of retribution, communication. So how do you, when you go in and work with an organization, build it in such a way that that's something they sustain and they keep doing? Mm -hmm. That's part of why I fell in love with the 360 Solutions materials and content is you can get people on the same page to what are the principles that will make us all successful and then work with them to commit to that. And like I say, if you work over time with people, again, it's almost like a sales job. I'm giving them some concepts I want them to try out without being pushy, letting them struggle and learn for themselves. Those kinds of solutions are much more sustainable than someone popping in and saying, here's what I think is going on. I do sometimes say, here's what I think is going on, but it's after a lot of assessment, a lot of conversations, but always with that backdrop of my bias, which is, here are principles that work and I'm actually comparing you and the feedback I'm getting against these principles Mm -hmm. to see where your gaps are. All right, Meg, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. We'll link your website and contact information in the show notes so people can get a hold of you if they're in the Austin area. And you know, there are lots of organizations out there that could use your help. Thanks a lot. It was fun. Been inspired by Meg's transition from leader to consultant and business owner? 360 Solutions helps people just like Meg go into business for themselves. Maybe you've been considering going out on your own. Don't start from scratch. Let our proven curriculum help you build a strong foundation. Learn more about our partnership program at 360solutions.com partner and start down the road to owning your own business with the help of 360 Solutions. Again, that's 360solutions.com partner. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Every little bit helps. Our website is hpleadershippodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hpleadershippodcast. Follow us on Twitter at hpl underscore podcast. 
and shoot us an email at podcast at 360solutions.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you.